Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Goins from the Reimagine Schools podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Coming up in episode 65 of Podcast PD, we're learning more about the quiet kids with our friend and author, Chrissy Romano Arbito. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you're going to have more fun with AJ Bianco, Stacey Lindis, and me, Chris Nessie. Let's start the show. Hey, what's going on, Podcast PD? It is another episode. Welcome back. It has been a little bit of time, but we're back. My name is Chris Nessie, at Mr. Nessie on Twitter, and I am joined as always by my podcast compadres, AJ Bianco and Stacy Lindas. Stacy Lindas, how are you? Enjoying the long weekend. Not as long as my boys. I have five days off from school. Living the life. Looking forward to tomorrow and not doing lesson plans tonight and podcasting. Right, because then you could just do your lesson plans on Monday night. Exactly. <laughs> Monday's the new Sunday. I'm kind of in the same boat, except Tuesday is my Sunday, because I have the four-day weekend that way here as we honor the American presidents. AJ, what's up with you? Living the dream. It's February. It is after Valentine's Day, and that only means one thing. Pitchers and catchers have reported. It's baseball season. Let's go, everybody. It's my time of the year. I am very excited. It is exciting that uh, we can worry about baseball from now until hopefully the end of October. It's always the best part about it. It's the Yankees, so definitely until the end of October. Into November. Cheers. It's the journey. Let's go. <laughs> we'll have to talk sports another time, though. With because... Stacy, because we know how much we love it. Yep, yeah, I we're going to start a sports trail. podcast with Stacy. Mm-hmm. Stacy. Sports with Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... No, nobody would be amazing. You can start with the type of bowl. <laughs> what do you use this one for? At least... Uh, no, I'm not even going to say it. Okay. I was going to say something about knowing what city... The winning Super Bowl team came from Kansas. Uh, let me rephrase: What state? Kansas. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we have a very awesome episode for you guys today. We are joined by our friend, and she's an author, and we've known her, gosh, five, six, seven, maybe ten years at this point. Um, I've lost track, but she's awesome. Chrissy Romano Arabito is a teacher, and she is she is damn well proud of it. She is currently an elementary school teacher at Nellie K. Parker Elementary School in Hackensack, New Jersey, and she has over 26 years of experience as an elementary and middle school teacher. Chrissy graduated from Rutgers University, where she studied sociology and psychology. She went on to complete the teacher certification program and earned a master's degree in counseling from William Patterson University. Chrissy is dedicated to teaching the whole child, stimulating and supporting innovation in classrooms, and strives to provide authentic learning experiences for her students. Her true passion lies in nurturing the quiet kids, those that tend to fall through the cracks, those that truly need a champion to support and advocate for them. She's the author of Quiet Kids Count, Unleashing the True Potential, which presents stories and strategies to make space for the quiet kids, find ways to amplify their voices and unleash their true potential. You can connect with Chrissy at our Coffee EDUs because I'm proud that she is the one who basically started this Coffee EDU in Park Ridge, New Jersey. And you can catch her online on all the socials at the Connected EDU or follow the hashtag 
Quiet Kids Count. Welcome to Podcast PD, Chrissy. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Long time woo, no woo, welcome aboard. <laughs> woot, woot. That's, the, that's, that's how we just started the interview. <laughs> woot, woot. <laughs> I think so. Woot, woot. <laughs> Very official. Chrissy, how are you? I am good. I'm looking forward to a week off from school. You get the full I'm week? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> Wait, what? Yes, we get the full That's wonderful. Full week. I have the full week off. You have a full week, wow. in, full week in April, too? Wow. Yes. Oh, so you, you guys have must that, really that love break. the presidents in Hackensack. Do you also have fall <laughs> yes, break yes, during, um, during fall? election week? Uh, no, we do not. <laughs> no? Because I know, no, you say that, but like in our area, some schools have off because it's election week or election day, and then they have, we have convention. Right. Some schools will have that week off and yeah. the winter break. Well, Chrissy, thank you for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you being here. And I know we're going to talk about every, a whole bunch of different things. We want to get to your book, Quiet Kids Count. So why don't you tell us, first of all, what's one thing people don't realize about quiet kids? Um, I think there's lots of misconceptions about quiet kids and quiet people in general. But I think the, big, the biggest misconception um, that I find is that we hear a lot, let's bring them out of their shell, um, which kind of indicates that, you know, they're broken or there's something wrong or they need to be fixed. Um, and it's just the way they are. It's the way they're wired. And a lot of teachers um, kind of fall into that trap. We have to get them to participate more. And they don't, you know, when you sit down and talk to parents and when you write comments on report cards, um, I've seen it, you know, year in and year out for my son. You know, he's bright and he has a lot to offer, you know, but he doesn't really participate in class. So um, I think this idea of, of trying to bring shy kids out of their, their shell, so to speak, um, is a big misconception that um, maybe it's just you're not offering opportunities for them. You're not making space for them in the classroom. They're not comfortable, possibly. Um, or another big thing that I've seen, you know, over the years is that quiet kids don't necessarily feel like they want to fight for the spotlight in the class. So those outgoing kids, those extroverted kids, the ones that are always ooing and eyeing and, and the center of attention, a lot of times those quiet kids have a lot to share, a lot to offer. They're usually your brightest kids in the class, but they just kind of hang back because they just don't really want to fight for that spotlight. I got to say, uh, I am definitely guilty of somebody who early in my career wanted to bring kids out of their shell, you know, teaching middle school and high school, wanting to get kids to participate and have what I perceive to be a lively, engaging, you know, flourishing classroom. And it always struck me early on as like, well, why is so-and-so, why are they always just off to the side or they're never engaging or like, so, so I'm guilty of that. I, I don't think so, so much know, anymore. But Chris, God, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm guilty of it too. And a lot of us are. So that's another thing I want to say is, you know, I'm here and I wrote the book, um, basically to inform not only teachers and counselors and administrators, but parents of quiet kids um, that are there, you know, to advocate because if, if, if I didn't advocate for my son, nobody was going to do that. You know, he's really the inspiration behind why I wrote the book and started speaking on the topic because of all of his struggles. And not only is he an introvert, he's a shy introvert, but we've, we've, I think we're all guilty of that at some point. And me being an introvert myself, um, I'm not a shy introvert. So I was definitely one of those people, you know, early on in my career where I did not like um, that, that downtime or that, that, 
you know, wait time that we learn about when we first start teaching, um, I wasn't comfortable with that. And I always wanted to pick on the kids that were going to fill that space. And it's not until, um, to be quite honest, till my son, who's now 15, when he started school, preschool even, when he was three, that I really started to recognize and understand there's a need for quiet in the classroom. There's a, a need for reflection. Um, that wait time, there, there's a reason that it's called wait time. There's a reason why it's out there and you know we're told to use it. Um, so a lot of the times when I do these interviews and people you know, they're all, and they say exactly, oh, I've done it. I'm guilty of it. Well, me too. I mean, we all have. So it's, you know, you do the best. What's that saying? You do the best with what you have at the time. So now you're going to know better. So, you know, know better, do better. A, a, a good thought definitely with, with this particular topic. Mm-hmm. Chrissy, what do you think is, is the biggest challenge that teachers have to overcome when they work with quiet students? I think understanding what they're all about is probably the biggest challenge. And once you kind of get where they're coming from and, you know, um, you know, how they tick and what they're all about, it's a lot easier to, you know, shift your instruction and, you know, pivot from your uh, lesson plans or just, you know, structure things differently. Um, You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about quiet kids and introverts, um, you know, that we don't like people. And that's not the case. We certainly like people, but we like, you know, like our people, like people that we're comfortable with, people in our inner circle, um, not real comfortable in large groups or, you know, being uh, called upon without being prepared. Um, You know, like I have no problem talking to you guys because I've known you for so long, but I remember the very first podcast interview that I did, I was sick to my stomach. I was a nervous wreck because I didn't know the person interviewing me. And it just was super uncomfortable. But once we started the conversation, everything just kind of flowed and, and, and it was cool and, and it was good. So um, it's not that introverts or these quiet kids don't like to be around their peers or want to, you know, don't want to participate. Um, a lot of the time, it, it's just their level of comfort. Um, so, so that would with- revolve around finding ways and creating opportunities for these students to feel comfortable participating in a way that works more for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, everybody talks about relationships first. I mean, if you hear that once, you hear it a million times, it's all over social media and people are writing about it. I mean, I, I write about it, you know, give suggestions and strategies on how to do that. So it's, it's really important to, you know, build relationships and rapport with all of your kids, but especially the quiet kids. So they feel like they have somebody that's on their side. Um, and one of the things that I've been known to do is, you know, take these quiet kids aside at the beginning of the school year, meet with them for lunch, get to know them a little bit, you know, outside of the academic arena, just get to know them as people just to try and connect and and see what they're all about. But on the flip side of that, I always pull the three, two or three most outgoing kids in the class, pull them aside, do the same thing, but make a point of saying, you know, we do have other kids in the class and we do need to make space for them um and and putting the onus on them so to speak so instead of saying to the quiet kids you need to speak up more having that conversation with the kids that are really outgoing and saying we want to make space for the other kids so we don't raise hands in in my classrooms no matter what grade level whether i was at middle school or at the elementary level when they're ready to share they put their hand on their head they put their hand on a shoulder they give me a thumbs up if we're working in small groups kids get little conversation chips. 
they can be anything from uh, math counters to bingo chips. They could be pennies. They, they could be anything. So each kid gets a certain amount of counters. So you know that you're going to have to share three times or four times. So for the quiet kid, it sets an expectation. Okay, so I, I know that I'm going to have the opportunity. I'm not going to have to fight for space. And I know I'm going to have to come up with something to share at some point during the lesson or the conversation. And then for those outgoing kids, it's like, oh, oh, I can only share three things. So I must, you know, I really need to think about it and choose wisely. And because a lot of the times the outgoing kids, it's just, you know, they just sometimes talk to hear themselves talk. Oh, I know that. So those I have are a couple some of those. strategies that, that I've used. What was that, Stacey? I said, I know that. I have a couple of those and it's just, it's incredible. And, you know, this being my first year back in the classroom after a while, like listening to talk about the, um, the conversation chips, like that's such a great strategy that I feel like I only ever employed with my super quiet kids or my super talkative kids. Like I, I can think of one kid in particular who is now a freshman in high school and like her hand was up two or three times in the first like 10 minutes of any lesson. And I was like, uh-huh. like, we really need to like make room for others. And I did, I gave her three chips and she could use three in the morning. Like that was like, it wasn't even per lesson. And it, no, I think I told her it had to be in the morning. And then she was like, but that's, and I was like, you know what, we can do it in the lesson. And then I like, we would make significant eye, tac- eye contact when she would want to participate. And I was like, okay, but like, I'd be like, and I would reach over and like grab her counting chip and like nobody really knew what it was except for the two of us. And like she'd put her hand back down because she knew like this was my one. And it really did pull her back a little bit. And other times where I've had those dominant com- conversationalists, um, we've used Unifix cubes and I've given everybody different Unifix cubes in in a group. And like they have to every time they speak, they had to build on. So like they were building on a train. So like if Chris has all the blue cubes and you have the red and I have the yellow and AJ has green, like you can see the blue build up because Chris likes to talk naturally. Your yellow might be very, like very limited. And then they can see the representation. Like, Oh, I, I come in like 20 times in one conversation. That's only lasting for 10 minutes. What does that mean for everybody else? Well, that means Chrissy and AJ have no room and you know, Cece's in there a little bit or whatever. And it was like really eye opening for some of those more chatty kids and I completely forgot that strategy until you just said that. So, like, that's awesome. Yeah, I like that. I've never heard um, heard it done that way with the colors, but I really, I really like that. That's that's a great way um, to visually show those kids that are constantly, you know, running their mouth. <laughs> it's your voice all the time. <laughs> yeah, and that there are other people in the room. And like I said before, it, it it shouldn't always be that the quiet kids have to speak up. It sometimes that those outgoing kids, those extroverted kids need to stop talking and, and make space for someplace else. So and invite them in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Stacy, real quick. I, I, I'm not familiar with you talked about. You're going to ask about Unifix cubes. Please tell us. <laughs> um, Unifix cubes are like they're little plastic blocks that only have like one nub at the top and they stack into each other. So like they're great. They're math manipulatives. And they're great to pull apart. You can make tens out of them or you can just build whatever. Just something that like almost every primary classroom has. All right. I, I will try and find some and put them in, in the show notes. <laughs> so if, if somebody wants to get them, they can. It, it was just a really good way for the kids to self-monitor their conversation. So what is the best piece of advice that you can give um, for working with or being accommodating to an introverted student? So like essentially like what strategies 
um, which like one or two strategies that you sh- that you think would be most beneficial for anyone listening? So I think um, one of the most important is the idea of rehearsal time. Um, and I think we talked about this at, at Camp New Jersey, right? Yeah. Casey, I think you were yep. in that session. We had this conversation. So the idea of really just giving quiet kids and introverts an opportunity to prepare. Um, it's kind of like the way I kept bugging AJ. Do you have any questions? What are the questions? What's the format? How does this work? Um, because it just kind of puts anxiety at ease. It, it just makes us feel more comfortable. Um, it just gives us an opportunity, you know, to think and to be more thoughtful with responses. So any way that you can shape, um, or structure your lessons to include, you know, rehearsal time. So ideas, um, like think, pair, share, you know, read, write, pair, share, um, any opportunity for kids to get information in advance. Um, the same thing also goes for administrators and staff. So one of my pet peeves is when you're at a staff meeting and an administrator goes, hey, Chrissy, you know, when I came in last week and I saw you do X, Y, Z, can you stand up and talk about that? So after the third time my administrator did that, I went up to her privately and said, listen, it, it's, it's great that you want me to share, but please don't do that. And <laughs> Can you just give me a heads up? So I have a minute, um, you know, to kind of think it through and, and, you know, prepare a little bit about what I'm going to say. Um, a lot of the times when you put introverted kids on the spot, they, you know, get tongue tied, they flub their words, um, anxiety kicks in. A lot of introverts also kind of have that anxiety thing. Not everybody, but, you know, a lot of us do. Um, so giving that opportunity to think about things and, and prepare. So rehearsal time. Um, I know a lot of classroom structured lessons with, you know, the idea of, you know, teamwork and collaboration and, um, especially when they're doing things in the realm of, you know, PBL and STEM and those sorts of things. So one of the things I started doing a few years ago is, you know, kids come together in a group, they work together on whatever task it is. And then we take a quick time out and it's like in boxing when everybody goes back to their corner and they have a minute to kind of like strategize. So I tell them, okay, like back to your seats. So they go back to their space. It is absolutely silent for like two or three minutes and kids are able to process what just happened in the group. Think about how they showed up, what they still want to say, or maybe, you know, pivot from what they did. Um, And it just gives them a couple of minutes to just kind of, have that quiet time to think and to process, and then they're able to come back into the group again and then finish, you know, whatever task that it is. So a lot of the times I see these um, people that are are teaching STEM lessons, they always put like their graphic organizers that the kids use when they're, you know, thinking and processing. They always put that reflection at the end. I kind of take it and put it at the middle and they take that break and then they come back to it again at the end. Um, So if there's any opportunity, whatever you're teaching, to build a little bit of quiet or a little bit of reflection into your lessons, um, that is certainly helpful for quiet kids. And I think the last thing that I find really important is giving kids opportunities for what we know, we call with the little kids, we call it a timeout, but that's like punitive usually when you hear that, like you have to go for timeout. So I have a corner in my room um, that's called the quiet corner. And yes, I teach second grade now. So the way a quiet corner looks in second grade is definitely going to look different than it would in a middle school or a high school. 
Um, but the basic idea is for them when they're feeling overwhelmed or overstimulated or they just need a break because they can't you know, think straight, and that happens, um, especially when you're in the same classroom all day long um, with the same kids, that they're able to go off, find a little bit of quiet, um, take a break from the action. So in that quiet corner, um, we have headphones like these, you know, big restorative headphones that are like noise canceling. So they block out a lot of the um, stimuli that's going on in the classroom, especially in an early childhood um, classroom. There's a lot of, you know, activity and, and talking and um, Stacy, you're like making a face like, oh, my God. It's just um, not. But yeah, it's not. They're not quiet. I mean, early childhood classrooms are, are very rarely. And they're quiet. not meant to be. So, I mean, for the most part. No, they're not meant to be. They're definitely not meant to be. And um, it, it kids that that are introverted definitely get overwhelmed and overstimulated a lot easier and faster um, than our extroverted um, peers. So they have noise canceling headphones. They have an iPad that has some meditation on there, some quiet music. They have um, a basket with Legos. They have a coloring book. They have just quiet activities to just kind of take it down a notch. Um, and there's little, you know, rules that are up there. They know they can't stay in there, you know, for too long. And they set the timer on the iPad. And um, it's amazing how even the youngest kids find that it's useful and know how to self-regulate um, or they, they're learning in my classroom how to self-regulate their emotions so that when they're uh, beginning to feel frustrated or overwhelmed or overstimulated, um, instead of acting out or breaking down or crying, the kids now know they just, they just need to take a break and they get up, they go over to the, the quiet corner, they do what they need to do and then they just come back and they continue um, some kids just say, Ms. Romano, I need a break. And they just go out. They do a quick walk around the hall, um, get a drink, use the restroom, and come back. And sometimes that's, that's just enough. So I guess the big three there, it's um, rehearsal time, um, giving kids the opportunity um, to reflect you know, within your lessons, just a little bit of quiet time built in, and then the opportunity to take a break from the action uh, when they need it. Those are probably the three simplest things to put into practice. And the the second two that you mentioned, Chrissy, they both even sound like they're valuable for the extroverted outgoing student who, again, as, as you said, even in second grade, they're learning how to regulate their emotions and their feelings, you know, in the education setting. So certainly that could help that type of student as well. Um, but one question I had, since you do teach second grade, what does this look like in terms of implementation, you know, at, maybe at the start of the school year? And that's kind of like part one. Uh, part two would be, do you also find that since you, I guess, really you identify as this and you can recognize it, do you find that you're helping these young learners understand who they are? I mean, I don't imagine a second grader is going to come in and say, hi, Ms. Romano, my name is Billy and I'm introverted. Do you kind of help them navigate this? So let me start there. Um, I think being introverted and um and let me just explain that really quickly because there there's we, we had we didn't really get the opportunity yeah i was going to ask about that. that and um and a lot of people automatically hear introvert and they think shy now you guys know me i'm, I'm not really shy um but introversion is more about your internal battery so i i like to think of it um or equate that to a cell phone when you are 
streaming a lot of videos and using a lot of apps and you're, you're um, you know, flip, watching a lot of videos, your cell phone battery dies really quickly. So when introverts have a lot of interactions, stimulation, noise, crowds, being at parties, being at pep rallies, being at sports events, it's all of that kind of going on, that, that kind of chaos like going on um, and it drains our batteries really quickly. So if you want to restore your cell phone battery, you should plug it in, turn off all your apps and leave it alone, right? Because if you sit there and you're still using it and using it, it's really not going to restore. So for introverts, we like, you know, to find quiet and peace. Um, I shouldn't even say that we like it. We need it. It's necessary um, to kind of restore that energy. So you guys, we all know each other from EdCamp. So when I go to an ed camp, I can be totally on doing my thing, but on that car ride home and I crash when I get home and I, I will straight up crash. And my husband knows, leave me alone. Um, he's got dinner that night. He's got to take care of dinner. I will come home. I'll take a nap. The next day I just have to chill. Um, I really need that time to just kind of like, you know, restore my energy and, and, and kind of bring peace um, back. So with that being said, understanding how easy it is for kids to get overstimulated, I try to break things up in smaller chunks. I don't teach much whole group. I do a lot of smaller group activities. So those quiet kids are only sitting in a group of three or four. So, you know, once the school year kicks in and they get to know their classmates and when they're in the same group, now they don't stay in the same group all year. So even when you partner kids in middle school and high school, don't change partners every period or don't change partners every week. Let them stay partners for a unit of study. Let them stay partners for a marking period so they're able to build rapport and comfort and you're gonna get a lot more out of those quiet kids once they start building that relationship with their partner. So I think because I understand all that, I design my lessons in a way that brings out the best in all of my kids, especially the quiet kids. I think they find that comfort level a little bit sooner um, than in other classrooms. So that being said that I'm an introvert, I get it. And, and I think that's definitely helpful for those kids. Now, raising a quiet introvert, a shy introvert, like my son, Christopher, that's a whole nother area because not only does he have that internal battery that drains very quickly, he's also shy. So getting him to participate is, is a real task. It's, it's very difficult. So I've learned lots of, you know, tricks along the way to get him to talk even at home. So I'll be able to bring that stuff into the classroom and all of these things through my experience as a teacher with quiet kids. This is year 27 for me. So I've been in the classroom a really long time. And then, you know, raising a quiet introverted kid who's now 15, all of these different strategies as a teacher and a parent, um, I, I've brought to the book. So there's just lots of different ways. So I think having that experience definitely helps those kids, um, you know, reach a level of comfort in the classroom. So, Chrissy, let's let's jump into the book for just one second, because so you're you're you wrote the book through uh, Times Ten Publications, right? You're doing that with Mark Barnes, and if you've read his books before, in in the books there are those little blurbs of what you can do tomorrow to make it work, and I really like it in your book. You have a lot of the sections there where they're clearing up misconceptions and you're, you're giving strategies as well. But I think the thing that stands out to me 
and you spoke to this one time at Coffee to you just kind of threw it in there in passing. You have journal pages in your in your in your at the end of the chapters. So can you speak to why you included those journal pages? All of the lead forward books in this series uh, are designed, I guess, for like book studies, really. It gives people an opportunity to reflect while they're reading, um, to put things into action, um, to really think about it and not just like read through the pages and then highlight and then never go back and look at it again. So it's an opportunity to, um, you know, really think about what you're doing, pick apart the chapters, um, what are you going to take action on? Uh, I guess it's a way of kind of holding yourself accountable a little bit, you know, for, for what you're learning um, as you're reading the book. Yeah. No, I, and, I, and like I said, I really like that you have have included those and a lot of the questions you have, those guiding questions are, are really, are really great. So when we, when we look at those questions and you're looking at them at student, when you're looking at it to work with students, let's flip it for a second. So for the leaders who might have introverted staff, or for those leaders who may be introverted themselves, how can we apply the concepts for adults who may fit into those guidelines of being introverted? You know, the same, well, the first chapter, I mean, definitely lays out all the misconceptions. And I think a huge part of the problem is that people don't really understand what introversion is all about. So they see their staff members, you know, walking around with earbuds in and they think, they're rude and they're antisocial. They um, see their colleagues not coming to the holiday party or eating lunch with the team. And again, they think they don't like people. They're rude. They're antisocial. Um, they don't want it. They're not a team player. Um, and it's really not the case at all. A lot of that is more we need a break during the day to make it through the rest of the day. So, you know, I, I had a really hard time with that when I first came into teaching. And one of the stories I, I wrote, um, one of the things I like about the structure of the book is that there's a lot of stories, not only um, strategies, which are super helpful, but the stories help you see yourself a little bit and, and kind of make connections or it helps people better understand what's going on for an introvert. So you can recognize that in your staff member or your students in your class or your colleagues down the hall. So one of the stories that I tell is when I did my student teaching and then I ended up getting hired in that same building um, right after student teaching. It was a very small school. Everybody ate in the lunchroom every day. And I would walk in there and I just couldn't even think. It was like this just cacophony of sound. People talking and laughing and sharing stories. And it was great because it really was like a family but it certainly was not like my family. I grew up in a very quiet house. My house now is a very quiet house. Um, I just, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be with little kids all morning, go sit in a lunchroom for 45 minutes with all of that um, social interaction and then finish out the day. I would come home every day exhausted. So my father, who was an introvert, um, said to me, you, you, you gotta learn how to play the game, Chris, or you're, or you're, never, you're never gonna survive. You need to figure out a way to make it work. So what I started doing was I left my lunch in the refrigerator in the teacher's room. I would go in. I would heat up my lunch. I would spend about five to seven minutes chit-chatting and then just kind of quietly escape and go to my room. So I showed my face. I was social, um, kept up with the stories and what was going on with people's families and always, 
you know, made a point to say like, oh, you know, how's your husband feeling? Is he still sick? Or how so-and-so? Or, you know, how are the kids? Um, you know, walking up the stairs or walking to the car. Like I would always be social in that way. Um, but I would always kind of carve out at least 30 minutes alone in my room where it was quiet, um, where it was just quiet. I just, you know, I, I needed that break. So just understanding that it's not something that, you know, we want to do, but it's, it's necessary um, for us to feel whole, for us to um, even make it through the day. Um, so that I think is, is really important. And then I mentioned before the idea of, you know, administrators giving staff members a head up. So if you're going to have a grade level meeting and you have an agenda, hand it out before the meeting, not at the meeting. So if you want us to share things and, um, you know, talk about what's going on in the class, like, you know, give us a heads up so we have time to prepare. So if you want rehearsal time for your kids, you need to do that for staff as well. Absolutely. But I'm going to go one further. I'm going to ask this question because this is something that we have talked about here before. Do you think an introvert could be a good leader? Introverts can absolutely be good leaders. Why is that? I mean, some of the most influential people in history, um, you know, have been introverts. Albert Einstein, Barack Obama, um, Steve Jobs uh, and his buddy, uh, Waz, Waz uh, Wozniak. I mean, Rosa Parks. I mean, so the um, Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, the the list is endless. Gandhi. I mean, there's so many incredible people in history um, that are introverts. They are some of the brightest, most creative. Um, they tend to be very deep thinkers, um, and I, I, that that's you know that stuff's all important. Um, and they also tend to be able to connect with people and relate to people um, in a different way. They tend to be um, deep feelers as, as well, you know, emotionally as, as well as deep thinkers. And a lot of what I just rattled off are a lot of traits and characteristics of solid leaders. So Chrissy, as, as we start to wind down the, the conversation, um, the, the last thing that I want to ask and find out regarding the book, obviously you wrote it with, personal passion, you know, passion for your family. And, and obviously the interest is there Uh, for somebody who has read it or will read this book. What is the biggest call to action or the big takeaway directly from you, the author? So I think the biggest thing for me is that um, people need to look at this as another level of differentiation. So if you plan your lessons and you structure things with learning styles why not take personality types, you know, into account? Um, you make accommodations for kids with learning disabilities. Um, and I'm certainly not saying that being an introvert is a disability, like not, not by any stretch. Um, there, there are, no, not at all. <laughs> of, you know, strengths, you know, out there. Um, but kids need to be taught different strategies. And, and I'm, I'm also not saying that you need to change everything that you do to accommodate you know, only the quiet kids. Um, a lot of the strategies that I talk about work for all learners, not just the quiet kids, but they definitely make space for them and provide opportunities to amplify their voice. Um, so I, I think that's the most important thing is, um, you know, being able to employ these strategies, you know, for all kids. I like the spin, uh, not spin, but I, li- I like the perspective of another aspect to differentiation because every kid is different and this yeah. is something that should be definitely considered 
when working with 30 kids or 140. Well, the other part of that is if you look at the numbers, um, there's a lot of us out there. I absolutely guarantee that you have at least half of your class um, would identify as an introvert if you went to, you know, did like, you know, a mini Myers-Briggs with them or something, um, you know, depending on their age, of course. Um, I guarantee... Well, standing, standing up in front of a high school classroom, you would think that all 25 of them are introverted and don't want to say a word, so... <laughs> <laughs> but we are... Um, you know, we, we have introverts all around us. You're, you know, either coupled with one, raising one, your best friend, you know, your colleague down the hall, your administrator, and, and certainly at least half the kids sitting in your class. So why would you ignore such a large population of people um, when there are some really easy to employ clear cut strategies that, um, you know, de- definitely provide a, a more nurturing environment for them? environment sorry there's a lot of truth to the um the number of introverts that are out there you know you speak about your son and uh my husband is a uh, an incredible introvert he's one of those people who i think um in his career you wouldn't know it but like if you deal with him privately like i do like it's just it's totally who he is and when he talks about like you like you um I remember the first time you told me you were an introvert and I was like, that can't be. And you're like, no, I am. And then I remember reading other books about introversion and, um, and recognizing that it wasn't necessarily about outward energy and your ability to be social, but about where you get your energy, like you explained, which is why I was, I'm glad that you went back and, and kind of tackled that, even though we, it was later in our conversation, because I think that that is one of the biggest misconceptions. Right. So you're right. Introversion um, is among us everywhere. And, you know, as much as an extrovert I am, I also relish my quiet time and I get energy in both situations. So I consider myself a bit of an omnivert. Um, um, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it's just very interesting to really take the time to recognize that, you know, like one of your stories in your book is how as a kid you were one of the most talkative kids and the type of kid where the teacher would be like it would be really great if Chrissy could make room for other people to have conversation and um like I'm I'm now thinking about who my classroom is filling that space because they also just don't like the quiet like they feel like you know what I mean like they enjoy personal quiet but not necessarily like um public quiet does that make sense? And, and the other piece to that, like for me, it was more about anxiety. If I was not the, if I was not at the beginning of a conversation or shared what I thought um, from the get go, I, I, I would go crazy. Like I, I would just be a nervous wreck about it. So I, I kind of had to be that person to just kind of jump out there and, and get it off my chest and share what I had to say and answer the question. And then I was able to sit back, relax, and then really take in the rest of the conversation and the lesson. Um, so yeah, and I've for seen me, you do it was that. more about anxiety. I've what seen you that? do that. Dive, I've seen you do that where you dive in and then you could be quiet. You will dive in for like the first three minutes of a conversation and sit back for the last 30 and just be like, okay, right. I said my piece. And well, then you know, I'm t- I'll able interject. to take it all in. Yeah. I just get, I, you know, I have to get it out there and then I can relax and then just, you know, really. Um, That's why she's I good at leading ed camp sessions. Very engaged. <laughs> what was that, Chris? I said, that's why you're good at leading an EdCamp session. You can get the first two and a half, three minutes out there, sit back oh, and yeah. let everybody else talk. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. 
speaking of learning, um, this is the final question for you. So what is your ideal professional development, either as a presenter or a participant in your own learning? So I think for me, um, it has to be relevant, you know, PD that's relevant to what I'm doing, you know, in, in the classroom. Um, and there's not a whole lot of that <laughs> that I get through my district. A lot of the times I have to just sit there and, you know, tough it out. Um, but yeah, it has to be relevant um, and something that I can just turn around and implement, um, you know, quickly. Um, it, it's it's got to be actionable stuff. Um, to me, that's that's the most important thing. Um, I have a hard time sitting and listening to people talk, you know, all about research and theory and and. I'll just, if, you know, okay, so yeah, there's researchers, all the theories, that's great, but like, how am I going to put this into action in my classroom? Like, how am I going to use this with my second graders tomorrow or next week? Um, so that's, yeah, those are the two key things for me. It's got to be relevant to what I'm teaching and, and definitely something actionable. Good. I like it. And I think that's, like Chris said, something that um, makes you a really good facilitator of conversation in a situation like EdCamp. When I went to your EdCamp session, you, you know, you asked the questions as they were necessary, but everyone felt like the conversation was completely actionable and it was a conversation. You know what I mean? It wasn't someone's presentation. We weren't like there to watch you talk all about um, quiet kids. We were there to have a conversation and then reflect and move on with actionable steps on Monday, which I immediately did. So, um, Oh, that's I, great. What, what did you do? Um, I, I really was very, I was much more deliberate about, um, like the, th the think pair share, which I've always, like, I've always done the turn and talk, but I'm not very good at the, like the think turn and talk. Um, and I had some, um, some smaller conversations with a couple of kids who like your son are, quiet and shy introverts. And um, I had some conversations with my more chatty kids, which I think I need to redo because I'm watching them. And that's why I was making that face earlier, um, which I know our listeners can't see. But like when you were talking about like those kids who just dominate the conversation, like I have quite a few of them who just, even when they're doing independent work, think out loud. And it's just so disruptive to, because I do have I would say my, my class is split 50-50. And I have a, a lot of kids who, like you and my husband, will push themselves because it's, it's you know, their career. Like, right now, like, they're in school and that's their job. So, like, I, I'm thinking of one little girl in particular. Like, to watch her, she's the quietest kid. But if I if she feels she has something to add to the conversation, um, she's totally willing to put herself out there and to help others. And I, be, I became much more watchful for my introverts. And I think that that has really served them and me well. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that you actually were able to take something away and put it to use in your classroom. That's awesome. I thank you for that session because it was a really good one. All right. Before we move on first, Chrissy, you're going to spend some time with us the rest of the episode. And uh, so we thank you for that. We thank you for taking time to talk about your experiences and sharing some stories and certainly sharing your book, Quiet Kids Count, Unleashing the True Potential of Introverts. Now, so we don't forget, how can people connect with you who want to learn more about this topic and get it straight from you? 
Sure. So on Twitter and Instagram, it's at the Connected Edu. On Facebook, which is actually the social media platform I prefer, I feel like it's it's just a little bit more personal. Um, it's just my name, Chrissy Romano Aravito. Um, you can always follow the hashtag, and we're actually doing a book study right now on Facebook. Um, and it's you know you could just message me there, and, and we're only on chapter two, so we just started um, talking about the book and and you know sharing experiences and trying things out in the classroom. Awesome. And the best place to get the book, obviously, I would think Amazon, but anywhere else people can consider purchasing yeah, the book? Yeah, Amazon, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, or if you're local, direct from me. I have the best price. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll have Chrissy's address in the show. No, don't, you can't go to Chrissy's house <laughs> to get the book. <laughs> you can always join in and call for you on a Sunday, and you can come see Chrissy there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're in northern New Jersey, next one's March 15th. And AJ will be there, too. Woo. Woot, right, woot. AJ? Yeah. <laughs> woot, woot. <laughs> woot, woot. We've come full circle. <laughs> All right. Before we get to what we're listening, AJ and I are going to talk about the executive producers. AJ, did you know that people can support Podcast PD by being an executive producer? I, I did know that. I've heard this before somewhere. And if you're interested, you can show your support on a monthly or year- yearly basis. Uh, we've streamlined the options for you to do $5 a month or $50 a year. And as a thank you for your support, every executive producer will receive a Podcast PD sticker and monthly supporters will receive a Podcast PD mug or t-shirt after five months of support. Yearly supporters will probably receive their mug and t-shirt. And if you are interested in becoming an executive producer, check out podcast. Let's do it again. If you're interested in becoming an executive producer, check out podcastpd.com slash executive producers for more information. And a special shout out. We have our first executive producer. So we want to give a special shout out and thank you to Mr. Kyle Apt for being our first executive producer. Kyle, thank you so much for supporting Podcast PD. Woot woot. Thank you, Kyle. All right. Now it's time to share what we're listening to. Stacy, what's the number? Uh, my number is. 1795. So it went up from the start of this recording when I was sharing with you guys um, before we hit record. Yep. So wait, it went up since we started doing this episode? Yes, just by one. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. I don't even know what. It, oh, I got. Uh, yeah. Yep. It went so, up. So I busted your chops about having 2,000, and you decided instead of saying, no, no, I'm going to go down to go larger than that. It's smaller <laughs> than 2,000. 1,795. To get my numbers down, I've been listening to um, a lot of my NPR podcasts, and one that I listened to recently was Hidden Brain, When Things Click, The Power of Judgment-Free Learning. And um, the description straight from the site is, this week on Hidden Brain, we explore an innovative idea about how we learn. It will take us from the Russian laboratory of Ivan Pavlov to a dolphin exhibit in Hawaii to a top teaching hospital in New York. It's about a method to quiet the noise this was not intentional anyway. Um, the sort of clutter that can turn learning into a minefield of misery. Students care more about getting praise than learning. Not all learning can be gamified and not all learning can be broken down into a series of steps. Um, and basically, um, Shankar Vedantham talks to two different people about different strategies that use literally a clicker to um, give instantaneous feedback that the work that 
the dolphin in the one case or that students in the New York City um, teaching hospital um, were on the right track. And I just found it really, really interesting. And what really struck me was that line about um, students caring more about getting praise than learning. And I remember it it just took me back to when I was teaching second grade and um, I was newly involved in responsive classroom. It was my first few years of teaching. And one of the things we talked about was like really turning students' desire to hear teacher praise back on the kids. So like when a kid says, you know, how do you like my, or Mrs. Lindis, I did this. What do you think? It'd be like, well, how do you feel about it? Tell me what's most exciting for you. And, um, you know, I just, while the whole thing is not necessarily teacher oriented, um, it's just, it just brings me back to some of the things that I knew early on in my career that I want to reinstate in my career now that I'm back in the classroom. It, it's a fan. Actually, this is, did you listen to this recently? Uh, it was two weeks ago. Yeah. It, it's a replay. I, I've heard, I heard this one before. So when you mentioned Wasn't Hawaii and the dolphins, yeah, I, I, I heard this one. Well, then I needed to hear it twice. I, I don't know if you heard I, it the first time. I, I have not missed one. So that's true. That's true. It only disappears when it gets downloaded or after it's listened to. After it's listened to. That's how my, <laughs> yep, that's how it works. <laughs> AJ, what have you been learning from? What have you been listening to? So the podcast I've been listening to, I went with the podcast this time. I've been reading some books, but I went with the podcast for this one. Um, I went with the Ed Milet show, How to Conquer Self-Doubt, because, well, self-doubt's a killer. So I've been dealing with it and trying to figure out ways. And because I'd like to listen to other point of view um, of what people have done, I kind of grabbed on this one. So uh, Ed Milet is a podcast that a guest recommended to us. And I think it was, I think it was Mike Brilla, if I'm correct. I think he, he kind of brought this one to us. So I, and I was, uh, I'm right. Cool. Look at that. Uh, so I've been kind of checking out some episodes and just digging into his uh, catalog of, of episodes. I found this one and, um, and I liked it. You know, he really is a motivational guy. And uh, the whole thing with his podcast, um, because of who he is, because of his voice, because of what he believes in, I kind of look at him, and Chris, you'll get this. I kind of look at him like like Gary V, but a little bit watered down because, you know, Gary V is like totally that, like that alpha, you know, and, and Ed Milet kind of like even said in, in, uh, in this episode that he considers himself an introvert, you know, but he has ideas where he um, is very extroverted. And he understands what it is to, to doubt different, different things that go on in his life, even though he is very successful as an entrepreneur. So just listening to his ideas and just talking about uh, how self-doubt is crippling, what you can do about it. Uh, I was motivated to, to kind of put into practice some of the things he was talking about. So if you struggle with self-doubt, which if you're human, you probably do, or if you're just totally overconfident, good for you. Um, this was a good episode. I'll be honest with you. I kind of just, I, I wish there was a number to it. It's back from February, 2019. So it's definitely going back in the catalog, but I really think his message was meaningful. Uh, and it, he focuses on the fact that you are worth it. You do deserve it. And uh, it's really about yourself kind of shaking the things that you think about yourself or the way that you were put in that position from your past to just find the success that you deserve and that you are able to, uh, follow up with, I guess. So give it a try. How to conquer self-doubt. Ed Milet. Enjoy it.
Nice. Of course, links will be in the show notes out at podcastpd.com slash 65. And mine, I mean, now I feel kind of silly because my recommendation doesn't fit with the topic of this episode, <laughs> um, as, as both of yours nicely did. Uh, but mine, mine was is just a coincidence. Uh, yeah. Sure it was. I, you guys definitely plotted against me. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine this week uh, is Throughline from NPR, which I've recommended in whole. Uh, but their latest episode, which was published on February 13th, uh, is titled Becoming America. And I was fascinated by this episode, uh, one as a person, as an American and as a history teacher. Uh, and the synopsis is as follows. When the United States of America was founded, it was only a union of a small number of states. By the beginning of the 20th century, the United States had become an empire with states and territories and colonies that spanned the globe. As a result, the country began to not only reconsider its place in the world, but also its very name. So this episode, to give a little more, basically talks about how there's this point in our country's history where we changed names. Now, you might not think that that's obvious, so that's going to be my teaser that the United States of America changed names and literally how it referred to itself. And there are some things we don't refer to ourselves anymore, which were very common in the early, say, first half of our nation's history. And there was a real almost flip a coin, not a quarter, a penny or dime, but flip a coin and the name of the country changed. So there'll be a link. Definitely go check out this episode of Throughline from NPR. I'm kind of intrigued by that one. So, so Me too. So there is one person left in the panel that hasn't shared what they're learning. So we're going to go with you, Chrissy. Tell us something you're learning. So, <laughs> what are you reading? Um, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I read to escape. Um, I do not read to learn um, much. So I am actually reading the third book in a trilogy by Neil Shusterman. I love um, young adult fiction, and this happens to be a sci-fi series. It's called The Toll, and it's part of the Ark of a Skype um, series. So it's like a dystopian society, you know, kind of a story and very futuristic and, and whatever. Um, so, yeah, my reading is usually like complete escapism, and, and um, that's what I do on my downtime. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but thank you for sharing. No, honestly. <laughs> honestly, we're seriously, here, yeah. We're sitting here. Stacey's got 17,000 podcasts. Because I've been listening to books. I've listened to eight books since the new year. So I'm totally there with you. Way to make it sound like it's only a 2020 problem, yeah, Stacey. Book number seven for me. <laughs> go back to, like go back to episode one. Since, since January. <laughs> but last year I listened to 50 yeah. something, so there. I need a break. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can't always be. <laughs> in like, you know, learning and growing mode and teacher mode and professional mode. Like I, I'm also just Chrissy mode where I just need to, exactly you know, escape and, and you know, read for fun. And um, I encourage my kids to do the same. What was that? Where can we get those t-shirts? Chrissy mode. Chrissy mode. <laughs> 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 but I encourage my kids to do the same thing. Like even in the classroom, there are things that they have to read in order to practice certain skills or learn certain things during the school day. But they always get 20 to 30 minutes where it literally says on the board, read for fun. And they can just pick whatever it is that they want, um, that they want to immerse themselves in. And some kids pick comic books. Some, you know, kids um, go to nonfiction, fiction. They go to their favorite books. I mean, they, whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah, I do a lot of reading for fun as opposed to reading 
to learn. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. I ruined that little segment for you. No, 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 not at all. It's not, not all. ruined. It, sometimes we do just talk about our books. And that's well, perfectly go. fine. <laughs> it's highly encouraged. Yes. Reading is fundamental. Just fun. Wait, <laughs> can I tell you? Oh, no, I'll do it next time. I'll do it now. Um, LeVar Burton has a podcast cool. where he reads books. <laughs> and cool. I downloaded them. But are you listening? To How many of them? No. Um, 17,000? Quite a few. Quite a few. He's Wait, did you say that's why you're so high? <laughs> that's why my number's so high. Oh. Shut up. Oh, Chris. No, look, uh, it's um, LeVar Burton Reads, and he has episodes going all the way back to 2017. I do not have them all. Speaking of telling tales, uh, we do want to remind you who is listening that we do love to get your feedback and thoughts on Podcast PD. So if there are questions or topics you want us to tackle on a future episode, or you just want to say, hi, hello, how are you? Uh, go to podcastpd.com slash feedback, and you can send us a message in a couple of ways on that page on our website. That being said, Stacy's taking out her magic wand. All right. It is time to say goodbye. Say goodbye, Christopher. Goodbye, Christopher. Say goodbye, AJ. Goodbye, AJ. Say goodbye, Chrissy. Bye. Goodbye, Podcast PD. Thank you for checking out this episode of Podcast PD. For links to everything that we discussed in this episode, you can visit the show notes at our website, podcastpd.com. To connect with the show on social media, we are at Podcast PD on Instagram and Twitter, and we share using the hashtag Podcast PD. To connect with Stacy, AJ, and myself, we are on Twitter at Mr. Nessie, at iRunTech, and at AJ Bianco. We would love to hear from you, so please go to podcastpd.com slash feedback and send us an email, send us a voice message, whatever you need to do. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with somebody that you think would get value from it. Word of mouth is the best way to share a podcast you enjoy, and we hope you enjoyed Podcast PD. We appreciate you listening, we appreciate your sharing, and we love creating this podcast for you. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.